0: Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless, our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim from Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure.
1: Let's pray as we come to God's word together. 2 Corinthians 3 says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Father God, we do pray as we come to your word now that you would speak to us through it into our hearts and that you would change us, that you would change us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. On the 23rd of May, 1940, King George VI requested that the following Sunday should be a national day of prayer. The reason was that two weeks earlier, Hitler had unleashed a military onslaught on France and Belgium, which had left the British and Allied forces with their backs to the sea and hemmed in by German troops. It looked like a third of a million soldiers would be annihilated. On the Saturday evening, the the military decision was taken to evacuate as many as possible of the Allied forces. And on the Sunday, the nation devoted itself to prayer. Churches across the country were overflowing. and At the same time, a call went out for boats of all shapes and sizes to join the rescue effort. What was incredible was that In the week leading up to the evacuation, a number of strange things happened. The first was that Hitler ordered his army to halt their advance. Bad weather on the Tuesday grounded the Luftwaffe, allowing Allied soldiers to march unhindered to the beaches. And on Wednesday, the sea was extraordinarily calm, making the perilous evacuation less hazardous. By the time the German army was finally ordered to renew its attack, over 338,000 troops had been evacuated. It was called the miracle of Dunkirk, and Sunday the 9th of June was declared a national day of thanksgiving, as people gave thanks to God for their answered prayers. Our country has moved so far from God since then that you couldn't imagine so many people turning to God in prayer today. God hasn't changed, and the power of prayer hasn't changed. And so as we look at the challenges facing us, not just as a nation, but as a, a world today, the thing that we as Christians most need to do is to come together in prayer to our sovereign Lord. Prayer doesn't just unleash God's power, it also brings God's people together. Last week, we were all shocked by the sudden death of one of our long-standing members, Roy Bowl. And as people came online after the service to to have a chat on Zoom, the news filtered through. And they did the best thing they could have done, they prayed. And at five o'clock when we met for our regular Zoom prayer meeting, uh, we prayed again, united in our grief, but also united in our trust in God. Lots of people have been desperate to help the, the family in, in some sort of practical way, out of a sense of compassion, and that is very much appreciated. But the most powerful thing we can do is pray, particularly because in grief we we have no power left of our own, we are emotionally drained and we need God's strength. We've come to the end of this short sermon series in Book of Lamentations, and it's been tough because we have felt the anguish and the despair of the people of Jerusalem through the vivid poetry of the writer. People have experienced terrible suffering. They know they deserved it because they persistently turned their back on God, and they went their own way, but it's still painful. And yet last week in chapter three, in the midst of despair, we ended on a note of hope with these wonderful verses. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. God gives us the strength to cope with each day. His mercy ensures that we are forgiven each day for our consistent failings. He is all we need, he is sufficient for us. We were also reminded that no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, for great is his unfailing love. For so he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. In many ways, it would have been nice to have finished there, but life's not like that, is it? In a broken world, Life is messy. People are messy. The poet appeals to the people of Jerusalem later in that chapter. He says, let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you've not forgiven. At that point, it's not yet happened. They've not yet experienced the mercy of God because they've not yet fully repented. They've acknowledged their their sin. They haven't turned to God and asked for his forgiveness. There's not yet been that real sense of repentance. Towards the end of chapter three, the poet appears to to make his own personal repentance because we're told he he speaks to God and says, you came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. And now it's like he's trying to encourage the, the whole community to call on God. But as we go into chapter four, We're back with a description of the destruction of Jerusalem. And we see that people are looking in the wrong place for salvation. It says there, moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. They were looking to Egypt to save them from Babylon. but There's only one savior. And chapter four finishes with the assurance that Jerusalem's punishment will not last forever. And so as we come to chapter five that we're looking at this morning, the shortest chapter of the book and the only one that's not an acrostic, we finally come to the response of the whole people together. For the first time, we have a a collective response of we and our, and it's the most appropriate response. It's a prayer. So what do the people pray? And what do we learn about prayer ourselves from this passage? The first thing we learn is that we pray because we know God is merciful. The chapter starts with the words, remember Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. That word translated Lord is Yahweh, the name God uses to describe his covenant relationship with his people. The reason they can call out to the Lord to remember them is because he already knows them. To ask the Lord to to remember what had happened to them is not just a a recalling to memory. After all, God doesn't forget. It's a prayer, asking the Lord to show his mercy and his concern. It reminds us of the Israelites uh, uh, praying to God when they were slaves in, in Egypt. In Exodus we we read this, it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In that situation God hadn't forgotten that he'd made a covenant with Israel. But he decided to act on it and show his concern and rescue his people. Back in Lamentations, the people are coming to God and asking him as their God to acknowledge the realities of their dire situation and have concern for them and show that concern. Express just how much they have lost. Their inheritance has been turned over, it says, to strangers and foreigners, verse two. Their fathers, they had become orphans, verse three. Their sustenance, once they had running streams of water and now they must buy the water they drink, verse four. Their rest, we are weary and find no rest, it says in verse five. Their freedom, slaves rule over us, they say in verse eight. Their security, we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of a sword in the desert. Verse nine, their physical health. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Verse 10, their honor. Women have been violated in Zion. Verse 11, and their leaders. The elders are gone from the city gate. Verse 14, and it reaches the lowest point as we get to verses 15 to 18, joy, is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. Again, this is a communal joy and a love of life that's been lost. It's like society has come to an end. The crown, they say, has fallen from our head. God has given us a privileged position amongst the nations, they are thinking, and it's gone. We've lost it. Why? Why has all this happened to us? They, they're lamenting what has happened to them, but they know the reason. Why has this happened? And it comes in verse 16. It's an acknowledgement that we've seen throughout the book of Lamentations. Woe to us, for we have sinned. The result of that sin is as seen in verse 17 and verse 18. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. To Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. As we've said before, Mount Zion is the location of the temple where God's people gather to worship Him, to express their devotion to Him. For Mount Zion to be desolate means their relationship with God is desolate. It's broken. And they know they themselves are powerless to do anything about it. But they do exactly what they should do. They call out to God for merciful, for mercy, because they know He is a merciful God. To acknowledge our sin is a positive thing. Um, The worst thing is to sin without realizing it or not being bothered about it. If we know that God is a merciful God, then to acknowledge our sin means we don't have to hide from God in disgrace. After he knows our sins, he knows our hearts. Sin should turn us towards God as we seek his forgiveness. Prayer in chapter 5 is a corporate confession. Maybe not all the people have sinned in the, the same way. Maybe some, like Jeremiah, try to warn them. But they recognize they are all in this together. They all share some responsibility. It's like when Daniel prays a prayer of confession on behalf of the people of Israel when they have been taken into exile in Babylon. It's not clear to us what that Daniel himself has committed any major sin. Have a look at what he says in his prayer in Daniel chapter nine, verse four. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of our land. A lot of those sins would not even have been the sins of the current generation, but the sins of the previous generations on whose behalf he is confessing. And so he ends in verse 17, he says, Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, Lord, Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. I wonder how much responsibility we feel for the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ. When someone wanders away from the Lord, do we just think, well, that's their responsibility, that's their decision? How much responsibility do we feel for the, the sins of our world? Or do we just think that, well, that's their fault for ignoring God, for rejecting God? Do we take any responsibility for for our failure to, to live as salt and light? Our failure to demonstrate a greater delight in the Lord Jesus than the things of this world? Our failure to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? How much responsibility do we feel for the suffering in this world? This evening we're we're praying about racial injustice and inequality. What part of have we played in that? We might not consider ourselves racists, but how much have we done to, to stop it? As Daniel said, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. We pray because we know God is merciful. Secondly, we pray because we trust that God is in control. The people know they deserve their punishment. They also know that if they come to God and call on his mercy, he is powerful enough to do something about it. The turning verse in the chapter comes in verse 19 where they call out, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. What a contrast from verse 18. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. Your temple, your people have been destroyed. It looks like the end, but no. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. To say you reign means you are in control. It's an acknowledgement that the disaster that has happened to them couldn't have happened without God allowing it. He is in control of the nations. He puts kings and leaders in power. He removes them from power. God can ensure that his people one day return to their country and rebuild it which is exactly what happened 50 years later. We believe today that God is in control of the coronavirus situation. We can be hard on the government for the mistakes they've made in managing the crisis. The truth is any other government would probably have been just as bad. Because although human beings are given authority to make decisions on behalf of their nations, they don't have all the wisdom they need to make the right decisions. They don't have all the the power and the resources to do whatever they think is the right thing to do. Which is why we need to pray that God would intervene in his power, that he would give governments what they need. He would give medics the skill to do the right thing. He would give teachers the wisdom to accommodate children. He would enable businesses to survive. Ultimately we pray that he would enable scientists to find a vaccine or that he would end the virus through his supernatural power. We pray for God to intervene in situations like this, but we don't understand why sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't do it when we think he should do it. And so after that confident exclamation, you Lord reign forever, Your throne endures from generation to generation. Come the doubting questions. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? We can still bring such questions of of doubt and lament into our prayers. It acknowledges our human weakness. It acknowledges our dependence on God. It acknowledges that we live in a broken world. But finally, we pray because we believe that God can change things. We cannot be restored unless we first acknowledge that we are broken. We heard uh, Ollie's testimony earlier. The first step in the the AA 12-step program is to accept their powerlessness over alcohol. When an alcoholic first starts the program, they're often in denial that they have a problem. And until they accept that they are an alcoholic, they can't make much progress. It's the same with all of us in sin. Until we acknowledge that we have a problem, it cannot be fixed. The people of Israel have acknowledged their sin. They have they they cannot do anything about it. But they've also expressed their trust that God is in control and that they believe that God can bring change. And so they call out to him in verse 21, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Their fundamental problem is that their relationship with God has been broken. They've become estranged from him. They want to return, but they know it depends on him restoring the relationship And the wonderful way in which God does that is through the death of Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Peter 3, the Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. By taking our punishment, Jesus mended that broken relationship between humans and God. He enabled us to turn back to him. Well, having been restored to God, the people can be renewed. The blessings that God had withdrawn can be returned to them. And so all the things we mentioned in verse 18 will again be theirs. At the funeral of George Floyd last week, his niece said, somebody said, make America great again. But when has America ever been great, she asked. As God returned his blessings to his people, they would become great again. But under the old covenant, they would never become truly great. That would only come with the new covenant. Look at the way the blessings under the old covenant will be changed through the work of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. And how those blessings will be blessings that we can enjoy ourselves. People of Israel lost, their inheritance, but they will have eternal life with God as we will, the new inheritance. They lost their fathers, but we will have a perfect heavenly father. They lost their sustenance, but we will have treasures in heaven, they lost their rest. We will have peace in our souls and eternal rest in heaven. They lost their freedom. We will have freedom from sin and death and judgment. They lost their security. We will have the assurance that God will never leave us nor forsake us. They lost their health. We will have new resurrection bodies one day. They lost their honor. We will share in the honor of God. And they lost their leaders we will have one perfect king, Jesus Christ himself. What wonderful blessings. Do you believe in these blessings? Do you want these blessings? Do you want others to enjoy these blessings? If so, let's pray for our nation, that people would turn to God, ask for his mercy and be changed. God's work in us will never be complete until we are called one day to glory. Our faith will never be perfect until that day, which is why instead of ending with verse 21, which would have been a nice, neat finish, the chapter, the whole book of Lamentations ends with these words, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. The point is that whatever doubts they have still because of what they've seen and experienced, despite the fact that At the current time, the joy has gone from their hearts. They still pray. They still cling to their faith in God, trusting in his love and in his power. Let's do that now, let's pray. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Father God, we praise you that despite all the pain and the suffering we see around us, you are still in control and you are the only one to whom we can turn. We pray for our nation, we pray for anyone listening now who is yet to call out to you for mercy. May you open their eyes to see their need for you and cause them to turn to you that they may experience your transforming power in their lives. Lord, we are sorry when we fail to pray. We do pray for the responsibility that each one of us shares. Help us to take seriously our witness in the way we demonstrate in our lives that Jesus is our portion. And in the way we demonstrate in our trust in your mercies, which are new every morning. In Jesus' name we pray.